There's another helicopter coming by. Uh, thank you, uh, Aneta Norm, and thank you, Matt. Uh, this is really good, you guys, and I hope you guys are, are connecting with this because part of what encourages you in your faith, part of what uh, reminds you that what you're a part of is really meaningful and eternal is when you hear the fruit that's being born here. Uh, Jesus talked about in John chapter 15 that he prunes the branch so that it can be what? Made more fruitful as it's connected to the vine of him. And so um, we're going to just share uh, a couple more, uh, maybe one more piece of fruit I thought was really important for you to be notified about, and that is related to the kids' evangelistic Bible study. This is number seven fruit. What we've seen is nothing less than extraordinary about what God is doing to reach young people. Um, I don't know if you're aware of this, but they have shown statistically this to be true. That currently about 80%, it's somewhere between 75-80% of people who make a profession of faith in Christ do so before they enter uh junior high school. And you think about that. About almost 8 out of 10 people who make a profession of faith do so before they reach essentially 7th grade. And so that shows you the importance of the evangelistic ministry of children. And, and what we have seen is, as uh, Jan and Cynthia have led the children's evangelistic Bible study is, I don't know how many kids come out, maybe it's about a half dozen or so, uh, but several of them have made professions of faith in Jesus Christ. And they're going to be going through um, the importance of Christian baptism. Some of them may be considering, actually at least one is going to get baptized on Easter. And so uh, that's a fantastic thing, a piece of fruit that you're a part of at this church. All right, so that's uh, we could go on and on about all of the fruit that God is bearing in this church. But I want to move on to the second sec- section, which is foundation. And we're going to talk about some of the foundations of our church that we need to be notified about, to be reminded of, um, going forward. And so, number eight is the foundation of the elders. In our church, uh, myself, Garen, Mike, and Norm, we are all elders. God has uh, placed us in this community to provide uh, shepherding, oversight, teaching of this community. But it's very, very important for you as a church to see, especially the elders, in the following two ways. Number one, uh, as we lay the foundation of our church, you look at the church leadership, you want to think of elders as they're primarily to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. Ephesians chapter 4. Our job, as we lay the foundation of this church, is not to do the work of the ministry for you. It is to equip you to find what is your ministry that God has placed on your heart, that God has gifted you for, and how do we equip you for that? As long as you look at us as leaders and feel like we have to do the ministry for you, this church will fail. This church will not grow, and you will suffer. And so uh, I, I tell Norm and Garen and Mike, we all talk about this in church, how can we equip you to find your ministry? Very, very important as we lay the foundation. A second way you want to look at us as elders um, amidst this is as a mother and as a father to you. That's what Paul said, called himself in First Thessalonians chapter 2. He said, Thessalonian church, you know, uh, he said in Second Thessalonians, you are my crown of glory. You are my joy, Thessalonians. 
And why did Paul feel that way to, about the Thessalonian church? He felt that way, he said in 1 Thessalonians 2, because he looked at them and he says, I've nurtured you like a mother, and I've encouraged you, encouraged you and disciplined you like a father. And so you want to look at the elders as men who are here to equip you for ministry and those who are here to nurture you in the faith and to encourage you and discipline you as fathers in the faith. Number nine, uh, we want to be notified of a second role of elders. Uh, second thing that's going on with the elders, actually, is we've recently made the decision to bring uh, Garen Tsujima on in a more formal staff role. He's already an elder, but he is going to be uh, part of paid staff at this church going forward. And Garen, he already serves. He might as well be like staff already. I mean, he just serves out of the kindness of his heart, right? But, um, but he's going to be focusing especially on the following areas. He's going to be working to refocus and to strengthen the men's ministry. I know we've had a men's ministry in the past. Uh, that's been fantastic. Barbecues and, and just the men sharpening as men as, uh, as iron sharpens iron. But Garen's going to be uh, really focusing on that. And so if you are interested, if God has laid upon your heart, especially as men, uh, to focus on men's ministry, come talk to him. A second area of focus will be, uh, he will be uh, taking over the youth ministry to work alongside Jocelyn and Phil. Phil's going to be moving on in June, um, and he'll be building up the youth ministry. A third is he's going to help oversee the relaunch of our Sunday late afternoon, Sunday evening gathering. And number four, he's going to be primarily working with the worship team, not primarily as a worship leader, but to shepherd the worship leaders and to, to help them to grow as, as leaders in our congregation of worship. And so we're very excited about that. Number 10, notification, uh, in terms of the foundation of our church, has to do with me. Um, no big surprise, don't be scared. Uh, but, you know, those of you that have been around church, uh, or multiple churches, one of the things I tell people when they go visit a church is one of the fir- one of the first things you should do is you should look at the senior pastor. Look at the senior pastor. Ask yourself if they have the character character qualifications of First uh, Timothy three and Titus chapter one. Right, so you should do that. Look at their uh, doctrinal teaching. You should do that. But you should also look at what type of pastor they are what they care about. And the reason why you should do that is because if you can understand not just one, is the senior pastor qualified in your, in biblical, uh, by biblical criteria, but number two, what does the senior pastor care about? Um, what, are, what are they, what is their personality like? Because that will permeate through, through the entire church. Examples. You can be part of a church and have a senior pastor who feels more like a Barnabas. Barnabas means son of encouragement. Barnabas came along Paul, right? And Barnabas is the kind of guy that you want as your friend. Everyone likes Barnabas. There's a saying in church that the most liked pastor in the whole church is the associate pastor. No one likes a lot the lead pastor sometimes, but the associate pastor doesn't never has to be the bad guy a lot of times, right? He's the one everyone likes. Some pastors like Barnabases. They're like sons of encouragement. They're like shepherders. They're like encouragers. They're like counselors. They're the people who like to do funerals. They like to do weddings. Um, and some pastors have that feel. Other pastors, they feel more like the Apostle Luke. 
You know, Luke was like a doctor. He wrote meticulously, orderly, chronologically uh, the Gospel of Luke. And uh, he recorded much of the book of Acts. And so some pastors feel that way. They're like very meticulous, very classroom teacher oriented. And those are very important types of pastors. And, and every pastor should play the role of Barnabas and Luke at times, right? For me, uh, the feel of me is more like an Apostle Paul. Paul was an evangelist. Paul was a church planter. Paul was the kind that was a, different than Barnabas because Barnabas is the one you want with you when you're sick, okay? He's the one to comfort you. You bring Paul into that bedroom, and he might say to you, can you just give me one last push for the kingdom before you breathe your last breath, right? Just one more push for the glory. Uh, and I'm, I pattern a lot of my life and ministry after Paul. Now, Paul had to play the role of Barnabas and Luke at times. Absolutely. Okay. But who Paul was had more of that feel of calling you uh, to lay down your life for Christ. And so notification in terms of the foundation of our church this is who I am. And what's beautiful about this is that I'm different from Norm, who's different from Garen, who's different from Mike. And you get this kind of fully, uh, more fully formed group among us. But very important to understand that. Um, number 11, notification. Again, on elders is, um, I want to share with you two things I'm learning personally as an elder right now. And uh, this is just what God is teaching me personally. Number one is I've been very convicted recently. Uh, you know, as we've been going through this series, Transformations, and our theme verse, as you know, is Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. And, um, and in verse 2, as you know, Paul says, do not conform to the world, right? And the idea, as it goes on to say, is conform uh, to the will of God through the renewal of your mind. And one of the things I've been convicted of is, um, and, and anyone who is married and has children completely understands this dynamic, is how I've seen my own conformity to the world play out in the lives of my kids. Um, and sometimes that's hard to see in your own life until you see the same sin in your life start to be adopted by your kids. And not because they're it's just, you know, they copy what dad does or they copy what mom does. And then you start to see it and you're like, oh, that's me. But I don't want you to do that. You know, do as I say, not as I do. But that doesn't really work. Right. And so that's one thing I'm learning. Um, and, and I really think that uh, there's an application for the body of Christ. Sometimes when you see you, you're blind to your own sin. But when one of the sanctifying works that the Holy Spirit does is he sometimes he can't get you to change on your own. He allows you to see your sin played out through the lives of other people. And sometimes when you see your own lies or your own hypocrisy or your own pride or your own foolishness in the life of someone else, and you say, oh man, I see that over, oh, that's kind of like me. And you realize how ugly that looks when you couldn't see it on your own. And I think that's what, that's part of the reason it's important to be in the community of Christ. Sometimes we can't see our sin until it's either pointed out to us by others, or we see our same sin that we're struggling with in the life of others, and we see the ugliness of it from, out, from the outside looking in. And so uh, that's one thing I'm learning. A second thing I'm learning is um, marriage. And one of the big 
moments, reminders and aha moments came to me in the last Fellowship of the Rings, where we, one of the things we talked about was in marriage, it's not just about what your needs are. It's not just about what your priorities are. It is about a healthy, godly marriage is one where your spouse may have different needs and different priorities than you. And a healthy marriage is one where you look at your spouse's needs and your spouse's priorities and say, your priorities and what you care about, whether it's as, you know, something like a hobby or, you know, doing the dishes or stuff like that, maybe those, you don't have those exact priorities. But if your spouse has those priorities, a healthy godly marriage is one where you make their priorities your priorities, even if they're not your priorities. Does that make sense? Are we saying amen online for those of you that are married? Okay, right. So for a God, spouses, I want you to make the commitment this week. I'm not going to say forevermore, right? That's just too nebulous. This week, I want you to make the commitment. I will too. And ask yourself, what is a priority that my spouse has? It could be a chores, cleanliness, right? Could be a hobby, what they like to do that you maybe don't, you don't like to do, whatever it is, right? Ask yourself, what is one way that I can make my spouse's priority my priority, even if I don't naturally gravitate that to that as my own personal priority, all right? That's a sign of love. That's a sign of a godly marriage. So that's one thing I'm learning and growing in. And um, I'm sure my wife is growing in too, right? <laughs> all right, let's move on. Let's move on. Um, number 12. Halfway there. All right, not too bad, right? Uh, notification number 12 is having to do with uh, the foundation of the church. We're going to, number 12 through 18, have to do with the foundation of the church. Number 12, City Bible Church. Let's be notified in a reminder that our church is about movement, spiritual movement. How do you know if a church is moving with God. I want to suggest to you two ways. Number one, you look at how fast people obey the Word of God. Those who are spiritually mature in the Christian faith are not necessarily those who have the most theological knowledge. They're not necessarily those who have the most ministry experience. They're not necessarily those who have been Christian the longest. I mean, those things count. But those who have the greatest spiritual maturity are not just those who have knowledge and experience and been a Christian a long time. You measure it by how long it takes a person to obey the word of God from the time God speaks into their life through his word and how long it takes them to obey. Because some Christians, God will speak, they'll repent, they'll embrace righteousness, and those are mature Christians. Isn't that what Jesus did? His father told him, and he went. He did. Some of us as Christians, our education... Our theological knowledge far outweighs the level of our obedience. And we gather knowledge and knowledge and knowledge, but we're not obeying what we already know. And what you want to start asking yourself is, if I see myself as a mature Christian, maybe it's not just about experience, length of Christianity, and theological knowledge. Maybe it's about the totality of that leads to the speed of my obedience. And I would say to you, if you show me a Christian that's been a Christian for a long time, but takes a very long time to obey simple commands that God said, I'm not so sure that that's a mature Christian. And so um, 
Movement is shown through how fast it takes you to obey. That gap time between when he speaks a word into your life and how long it takes you to obey. Um, And movement is seen by the pruning and fruit that you see. In a healthy body, a healthy body sheds cells. I don't know what the number it, it is, but you're shedding how many millions of cells every day. Your body, your biological body would be in a lot of problems if it wasn't getting rid of stuff every day, right? Um, and why does it do that? So it can grow. So it can be healthy. So it can maintain. Jesus said this in that, uh, uh, John 15, right? Prune the branch so it can be more fruitful. And in your life, what you think is a trial, what you think is a testing that is terrible, you just can't wait to get out of, it may, in part, be God's way of saying to you, I'm going to prune this stuff from your life. Why? So you can be more healthy. You can be more fruitful. I'm going to take some stuff away from you. I'm going to put you to the test. I'm going to allow things into your life. Why? Because it's going to develop a perseverance in you. It's going to show you that your, uh, my grace is made perfect in your weakness. And, um, and so you want to see pruning in your own life. And you also want to see pruning in a church. You will never hear this from other pastors. I'm going to tell you the truth. Okay? A healthy church is one where people are leaving. You never hear that in these books. But that's the truth. Because the reality is, in every single church in America, there are people at certain churches that should not be there. I'm not saying a Christian should go to church. I'm not saying they're, you know, I'm not saying that we want to see everyone leave a church. What I'm saying is that um, there are some people that are Pharisees, zealots, and pagans at a congregation that are not being changed by the gospel. Now, we might all say that, hey, I I need to change more, right? You will never find a perfect church, by the way, Christian. So if you're looking for that, you're going to be changing churches all the time. What I'm saying is that a healthy church is one where people are leaving and people are coming. And that's the idea of pruning. Prune the branch. Why? So it can be more fruitful. And that's the idea of movement. And so... We say to people, we want to love you, we want to build you up in the faith, we want to equip you for the work of the ministry, but we will do our best. But if you can find a better place in the kingdom, then go, go, you know, go there, be there, be that. You know? But if you're here and you're growing and you're seeing fruit, then be here. Um, so, very important, right? You know, uh, one more thing on this, number 12 on foundations. Uh, this notification is I think that uh, when you see fruit and movement in your life, uh, you're going to see godliness in your life. But you know what? Sometimes there are too many, and I'm sorry to say this, there's too many constipated Christians. Uh, Because sometimes we just eat and it just builds up and we don't move. And what happens to your biological body when that happens? It's not a comfortable experience, is it? You become a constipated Christian. How do you know if you're, if you're a stagnant, constipated Christian? You can know in the following ways. If you as a Christian start to look at other human beings and say, you as my spouse, you as my child, you as my parent, you as my pastor, you as my friend, need to meet all of my needs. And if I'm just waiting for you to be there and to meet all these needs. And when you fail me, my focus is on you and as an instead of God. 
You know, that's a sign that something's not moving in your life. You can know if you're a stagnant Christian, if you go for long periods of time in your Christian walk, and this is your thinking. Um, I'm not going to take the initiative. I always have to be the one who's invited to things. I always have to be the one that the pastor has to ask for me to get involved. And if people don't take the initiative with me, I won't take the initiative on my own. And stagnation comes into your life, which is, um, this is who the Pharisees were. The Pharisees were stagnant. The zealots moved in a direction that was kind of towards the Lord, but not really. The pagans moved in the opposite direction. And sometimes you want to be a moving Christian and not a stagnant Christian going the opposite direction or going in a a direction that's not being moved by the Lord. All right. Uh, Number 13. Notification number 13. Of the foundation of our church is one of faith, hope, and love. Hear me on this, you guys. You can talk all you... We can talk all we want about church strategy about programs in a church, about ministries in a church, uh, about how, you know, how things look. In a, we can talk all we want about that, but if you don't have at a church faith, hope, and love undergirding all of those other things, they will just be um, an empty shell. What you have to have at the core of the church is a movement of faith, hope, and love. You have to have a community. See, programs and ministries, they harness the fruit of faith, hope, and love, but they don't create faith, hope, and love. What, what really is that should be at the core of the church is a commitment of people to say, I'm going to live by faith. I'm going to commit myself in faith to the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm going to commit myself to being faithful with what God has entrusted me with. I'm going to commit myself to, um, to living by faith even when I don't see. I am going to have hope to endure during this trial, testing, and temptation. And I'm not going to give up my faith. I'm going to place my hope in the gospel and not in the things of this world. I'm going to love in the way of Jesus by denying myself, giving my money away, sacrificing my time, even for people who don't do it. And it's not just for the people who like me. And it's not just for the people I like. It's for whoever put, God puts in front of me. Because it's a reminder to me that I'm often unlikable. But God loves me uh, unconditionally through the gospel. See, that's really what you have to have in a church. If you don't have the commitment by the people to live by faith and to be hold on to hope and to love in the way of Jesus as God gives you the grace to do that, it doesn't matter what your programs are. It doesn't matter where you're located. And so that really has to be at the core of what the church is. Uh, we have a lot of people who are struggling in their faith right now, going through anxiety, going through depression. Um, and if nothing else, let's love well in this church. All right? We don't have to be the coolest. We don't have to be the biggest. We don't have to have the most money. We don't have to have the, the, the popular name. But we, like Paul said, Above all things, love, right? We must love well and receive love and give. All right, number 14. Um, 
Notification number 14, a foundation of our church, is to understand what we're trying to do here. Okay, um, And part of that, I, you know, when people, in the early days of our church, I came to people and I basically said this, especially if you've grown up in the Asian church, not all of you have, okay? But I, I said this and I still say this to this day. I said, you know what? I grew up in the Asian American church, blessed by it. I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for that experience. I love my people, right? However, when I started this church, I said, what City Bible Church, okay? Galatia was different from Ephesus. Ephesus was different from Philippi. Philippi was different from Thessalonica, Corinth, and on and on and on, all right? They were all the same gospel, all the same word of God, but they had different feels to them, right? They struggled with different things. That's why Paul wrote to different issues in different churches. What is City Bible Church about, okay? What City Bible Church is, it's an attempt to combine the best of the Asian American church with the non-Asian American church. What do I mean by that? I mean, I grew up in the Asian American church, and there's amazing things about the Asian American church. Examples. Asian American church tends to be really put an emphasis on the nuclear family. It tends to put an emphasis on fellowship and eating together, and I love that. Uh, it tends to put an emphasis on not all Asian American churches. I get this, right? I'm, I'm, I'm generalizing. But on, on um, a commitment to like Bible study, okay? Those are great things. But you know, I stepped outside of the Asian American church for about 15 years. And what I began to realize is while those things are wonderful and those are strengths and I was been blessed and I wouldn't be here without it, I realized, you know what, when I went to some other church outside that context, I realized some of the things the Asian American church doesn't do well is personal evangelism. What it tends not to do is caring about the urban areas or the urban poor right in front of you. We might care about world missions, but what about the missions right in front of you in the urban areas? What about the integration of arts into the, uh, the life of the church? What about multi-ethnic community? Are these not biblical things? Are these not important things in church history? And yet the Asian American church tends generally, generalizing, not to be, have those strengths. And so what City Bible Church is really an attempt to take the best of the Asian American church and the best of what I saw outside the Asian American church church and the word bible we have a commitment commitment to what's called the inerrancy of the word inerrancy is like this uh there's two theological terms infallibility and inerrancy this is the difference this is what people talk about um if i say to you uh if you go 100 feet you're going to see my car over there okay the infallibility of the word would say you walk 100 feet and your car's not there my car's not there. But if you look ahead 20 more feet, oh, there's Chris's car. That's infallibility. It leads you to the right place, although it might not be perfect. Inerrancy says, if I tell you to walk 100 feet, you walk 100 feet, and exactly that's where my car will be. And that's how we see the Bible, the latter. Why is that important? Because we live in a decentralized world right now where everything, it seems like, is being decentralized. Finance, uh, public education, um, um, government, right? Uh, media. I mean, the list goes on and on. And in a decentralized world, it's even more important for the church to hold on to the most pristine form of centralized authority. And you don't get more centralized than to hold up God's word at the highest level of perfection. Very important. Um, number 16, notification. Bible, again, in our, in our name city, Bible Church. Um, this is where we're headed, you guys. This is what our, uh, these services are about is uh, downtown LA is going to be um, 
downtown LA and in the afternoons, our services are what we do, what's called expository teaching. What is expository teaching? Expository teaching is a theological term. What it means is you read a verse and then you explain it. That's all it is. It can be done verse by verse in a passage or it can be topically. Either one is what's called expository teaching. Sunday mornings is what we do, is, has been doing, it's topical expository teaching. When we start up Sunday afternoons, we're going to be restarting up our verse by verse exposition teaching on a different series, but we do expository teaching here. Uh, number 17, notification. Uh, our commitment to the Bible is seen through biblical counseling. I want to encourage you guys, if you have not taken advantage of David Pack in terms of counseling, do so. This is a free resource. Our church pays for him uh, to offer counseling to you guys. And um, I don't know exactly how many people have been to him or um, John Sandy, who is the biblical counselor we had before, uh, School of Thought, but primarily from the Bible, prayer, the Christian disciplines, and the church. Number 18, notification. The city. We define the city as where we follow others as they follow Christ, where we go to make disciples of Jesus Christ. That's why we're here in, here in L.A., is to make disciples. How do we make disciples? We call others to follow us as we follow Christ. Just like Paul said in 1 Corinthians 11. Just like he said in Philippians chapter 3. He said, keep your eye on others who follow my example in Christ. Follow me as I follow Christ. Who are you following in Christ? Uh, because if your discipleship is primarily about reading Christian books, looking at Christian blogs, listening to Christian videos, that helps. Don't get me wrong. That helps. But really, biblically, discipleship is learning together and asking yourself, who am I following who's following Christ? And who am I calling others to follow me as I follow Christ? Who are you following in Christ? And don't count me, okay? Because I can't, I can't be there for every one of you. Um, and following, you know, John Piper or John MacArthur or whoever that might, whoever you're listening to, you can learn, but that doesn't count in terms of following them in the, in the respect of you can follow their teaching, but you don't know their life. They don't know you. You sh every one of us should have people in our lives who say, if I, if, if there's someone else that would name my name that says that they're fo I'm following them as they follow Christ. Every one of us should have someone in our life that if we said, who are you following as you following to follow Christ, they would name your name. And let's be good followers. Sometimes we want to be good leaders. We want to be good independent people. Uh, but the journey from self to Christ is the journey from independence and, and, um, to one of being a good follower. Are you a good follower of others? Um, next, notification. Uh, 19 through 25, as we wrap up, we're going to be talking about notifications related to the future of our church. Notifications related to the future of our church. And we want to be on the same page. Paul said in Philippians chapter 2, let us be of one mind, one spirit, one encouragement with Christ. If you have any affection and sympathy, make my joy complete by being of one mind. And so, number 19. Um, 
related to the future is Easter weekend, Good Friday. Uh, that's going to be April 2nd. We want, like Norm said in the announcement, we, we're asking everyone to block out your Easter weekend as much as you can. This is the one time out of the entire year we ask you for an entire weekend. Okay, it's April 2nd, April 3rd, and April 4th. Uh, no, notification number 19 is Good Friday. We want to come together on Friday night. It's at 6.30. We're going to be in this parking lot. We're going to remember the Lord's death. And we're going to have a special service where you'll have an opportunity to journal and you'll have an opportunity to receive communion. And Norm, Pastor Norm and Pastor uh, Garen are going to be speaking at that service. So uh, we want to come together and honor the Lord and carve out that future date, uh, April 2nd, 630. Notification number 20, also Easter weekend, has to do with second day. That is the Saturday of Easter weekend. That is April uh, 3rd. We're going to be meeting here again in this parking lot. We have done many uh, creative testimony outreaches. We've done something called, uh, five years ago, we did something called praetography. Uh, we did about uh, three or four years ago, we did something called narrative. Uh, a couple years ago, we did something called new. Uh, we've done second day for, I think, two years or so. And what second day is about, it's the space in between Good Friday and Easter Sunday. It's the space in between the crucifixion of Christ for our sins and to overcome death and the resurrection of Christ to offer us new life. That space of that Saturday, that second day of Easter weekend, was a time of doubt, disillusionment, questions, failures. Uh, he left us. Where did he go? He got crucified. He's our Savior. He's our Lord. Where is he? What's happening? And then he rises again on the third day. And so second day, a lot of churches don't do anything on the second day of Easter weekend. And it, and I wonder how many of you are at, can really relate to second day. How many of you, especially during this past year, have had moments of doubt, have had moments of disillusionment, have had moments of, of, of failure and wondering and questioning? I think every one of us, especially this past year, this is your opportunity, second day, to give voice to that. It is your opportunity to, to bring the rubble of your life over the past year and offer it up to God. And so we, this is an open call for creative testimonies. We are asking, we're going to show some videos from past years. It's a three to seven minute time frame. We're asking you to share moments of doubt, disillusionment, question, struggle, failure, it has to be from your life. It can't be, oh, this happened to my uncle. From your own life, but use a creative vehicle to do it. Some people have done dance. They've done spoken word. They've done photography. I talked to one guy. Uh, Marcus is going to uh, create an animated short to play from his own life for it. And it's not a performance, you guys. Don't feel like, oh my gosh, I'm not creative. I can't. You can just take a picture, blow it up into a poster and talk about it. Okay. It's not a performance. It just has to be real from your life. And you got to point us to where God, where your journey with God is. It's not just a time for us to vent. Okay? So look on the church website. All the information is on there. We'll be making more announcements. But we want at least 12, a dozen to 15 of you to participate in this. Okay? On that day. And I think it would be fantastic. Let's be the light in the middle of the city. Right? Number 21. Notification. Easter weekend again. Is our Easter service will be here. We're going to give glory to God. That will be on April 4th. 10 o'clock like normal. And later that day, 
I think we set the time at 2 p.m. Like Norm announced, we're going to be having a baptism service. There's at least two people that are going to get baptized on that day. We do it at the beach at Belmont Shore in Long Beach in the ocean. Uh, but I think Matt Kamada is going to be doing a baptism class next Sunday, March 14th, after the service. So come join that. Come check it out. Declare your faith publicly in Jesus Christ. Uh, notification number 22. Uh, this is a personal thing that um, I have wanted for our church from the beginning. In fact, I wanted it for my other church, and we never got it. And I've mentioned this before. Um, this is just a personal thing. And, um, and I think it would be a beautiful thing for our church. One of the things I've always wanted for City Bible Church is to have a gospel choir. Is to have a gospel choir. You know, if you've ever stepped into the African American church, one of the things that's beautiful about it is um, that's where kind of we associate at least the tradition of a gospel choir with, right? And there's a real celebration there in, in, in that tradition, right? And I've always wanted that for City Bible Church, for at, at, not to replace the worship team, but to be an addition to it, to have a group of, of, of worshipers and uh, we're, that, that celebratory side of worship and just, that's a part of your Christian faith, that joy, right? And I have wanted that for like six years or whatever, how long we've been around. Um, and so I'm praying for that. If, if you have any inclination of that, you know, we can start with three people, right? Um, I wanted this so bad at, at the last service at my last church, I found someone who uh, kind of leads a gospel choir. And I said, here, come visit our last church, our, our, my last service at the church. And close us in worship. And it was glorious, right? So anyway, that's just a personal thing. Thank you for that. Uh, notification number 23. Um, the future. Downtown LA and Little Tokyo. Um, for Little Tokyo, when COVID lifts in the future, we are going as soon as we feel it's okay to do this and people will come, we are going to restart up what we started like a couple weeks before everything shut down last, whatever, March is we're going to restart up something called Little Tokyo City Tours. Little Tokyo City Tours. And that's going to be on Saturday mornings here. We're going to offer a two or three hour tour, walking tour of Little Tokyo. And it's a food tasting tour. We're going to open this up. We're going to put it all over social media. We're going to be on Saturdays. We're probably going to do this once or twice a month down here. For anyone that wants to learn more about the Little Tokyo area, it's an outreach of the church. And so that's uh, one thing we're really excited about for outreach and in terms of outreach for Little Tokyo, um, I'm looking for maybe two people to join me to be um, advanced scouts for this area. Um, there's a lot of stuff that normally happens in the Little Tokyo, even artist district. And stuff is going on all the time that our church should be a part of. And I'm looking for two volunteers to join me in this conversation to be advanced scouts, to scout out what's happening in this area and to help us to figure out where our church fits in, in this geographic area. And so if that's you, come talk to me. I'll be all ears, and we can do this together. Uh, number two more, notification number 24, um, is a word on the restart of our Sunday late afternoon evening service. Um, we stopped, the last time we had a service at Harvest Haven was March 14th, I believe, uh, 21st. So that's about a year ago, right? And uh, 
because of the size of the place, it's not a place that holds like a thousand people, right? We said, we're not going back there into that indoor space until uh, we feel good about COVID. Um, I spoke, okay, so I'm going to give you the details on this, all right? Uh, I spoke with Harvest Haven yesterday, and this is just for you to be aware of what's going on and want you to be involved in the dialogue. Um, I'm, step one, when we left, um, Harvest Haven was in a deep financial need. It's, it, it's run by a group of seniors that are Christians, and it's their own outreach, and they were going to go under okay, financially. Our church helped them out financially in three ways. Okay? Number one, we gave them two months of rent for time we weren't even meeting there just to help them out. Okay? Number two, we helped them out. They didn't even know about PPP, the uh, payroll protection plan. Uh, we told them about it with like two days left. We happened to talk. You don't know about it. They applied. They got two months of salary for their secretary. Okay? We also hooked them up with another church to meet in their facility that provides actually two two churches that provides rent for them in our absence. We helped them out substantially financially. And when we left, we made an agreement with the director as well as the church that came in that we hooked up Harvest Haven with. And we said, okay, we're not going to be here, but we would like, we City Bible Church would like to reserve the opportunity to come back, you know, when COVID is over. And there was a, a common agreement for all of us that was very clear, okay? So we talked with them yesterday. And basically here's where the dialogue is at is um, there's now basically three congregations meeting there. There was one other when we left, okay? And um, I talked with one of the pastors, and I talked with the director, and here's the bottom line. The bottom line is that we might be able to go back, but it's going to be a squeeze, because now you're going to have three churches meeting on Sundays, okay? So I'm supposed to talk with the pastors over the next week, and Garen will be part of that, um, and that can work out. We can make that work, Okay? But it's just a matter of logistics. Um, I could pull this on them. I could literally say to everyone, hey, you know what? Um, this was the agreement. And we were very clear and everyone agreed upon that. We want to come back. Let's all honor that agreement. And we could literally kick out that church that meets there on Sunday afternoons. It's a small church. I don't want to do that. Okay. Um, and if we, hopefully we can find a way for that to happen. But I also think that we have to be willing to lay that down if it doesn't. Um, I'm not willing to turn to another church and say, well, we said this, so now you're out and we're back in here. I just wouldn't feel good about that. But hopefully we can work this out, right? All three can meet. In the case that it doesn't, though, we may have to look for a new place. But we're not sure. We may not. And so we're just keeping you involved in this. We will not start this up. I don't see us restarting Sunday evenings until probably beginning of June, somewhere around there. Okay, so just a heads up. All right, lastly, um, final for the future is um, be prepared for persecution at this church. You know, um, last week someone was yelling at us, right, during the sermon. If we're going to preach faithfully the word of God, you got to be prepared to suffer and be persecuted for the word of God. I want to ask you something. Have you been persecuted and suffered for the word of God? For what you've stood up for? For what you've declared? For what you've called out? You really need to ask yourself something, you guys. In this world of great tolerance and great love and great anything goes, if you're going so much with the flow and you're not experiencing persecution for your faith, should you ask yourself, 
am I being marked by more by courage or cowardice? And I am convinced that the churches that God will bless and the churches that will survive going into the future will be marked more by those who are courageous for their faith, even if you don't have all the great theological knowledge, than by those who are cowardly for their faith. Okay? And so let's be notified on these things. Thank you guys uh, for this. We're going to go into communion now as we close together. And um, I'm going to get some communion elements. Someone's going to bring me some. Uh, there they are. Great. Thank you. I uh, have realized that I need glasses. I'm afraid to go to the optometrist, but I'm pretty sure I need them. Um, as we receive communion together today, this is, you know, I talked about the foundation of City Bible Church, but this is really the foundation of City Bible Church, isn't it? It's about to live as Christ and to die as gain. It is about what he has brought together um, in his broken body, his shed blood. I said this last week, but Jesus did not come to have his body broken on the cross so that he could be on this earth as a head with no body. He came to have his body broken to establish a new body called the church. And we are the result of that. We are here um, as imperfect people and people who struggle. Have you struggled? Um, and I, I want to encourage you that if you're here this morning and you have struggled, you have failed, you have not lived up to who you know you should be in Christ, I want to encourage you that you are in good company. And I want to remind you that God's grace is made perfect in your weakness. And as we receive communion now, let's be reminded, one of the reasons why God has allowed us to stumble and fall in life is to be reminded of our need for the blood and, and broken body of Christ so that we don't live without him, we don't forget him. And so there's a positive thing to our failures because it reminds us of our need for Christ. And so let's receive now, for those of us who call Christ our Savior, let's receive now the broken body and the shed blood as represented by these elements. And um, let's be reminded His grace is made perfect in our weakness.